así. Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. We are wrapping up a message series today we've called Pressure Points. And what we've been doing is we're working through the book of James in the New Testament portion of the Bible. And James shows us how to make the most of the pressure by turning to God and allowing him to change us in the middle of it, which is what God wants to do with the pressure, which is one of the reasons he leaves it on us, doesn't take it from us. Um, We looked at how pressure comes from many different sources like suffering and trouble, temptation, doubt, unfiltered words. Conflict, and today we're going to look at how unjust circumstances create a unique kind of pressure in our lives. Jesus tells us to expect trouble, and James is echoing that. James was Jesus' half brother, so he's he's saying what Jesus said: don't don't be surprised by the trouble that's coming. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in Britain in the 1800s, and He wrote a devotional called Mornings and Evenings, and most mornings I read, I read from it. And the other day, as I was getting ready for this message, it was starting to be on my mind, I I read this, and on April 5th, he, he was drawing out some insight from the fact that Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry the cross of Christ. So that's a detail of Christ walking toward the cross or his journey to the the place where he'd be crucified. And Spurgeon has this ability to take one little incident and draw some pretty pretty helpful insight out of it. And so this is what he said about Simon of Cyrene carrying the cross. He said, we see in Simon's carrying the cross a picture of the work of the church throughout all generations. She is the cross-bearer after Jesus. Mark then, Christian, so this is what it means for us. Jesus does not suffer so as to exclude your suffering. He bears a cross, not that you may escape it, but that you may endure it. Christ exempts you from sin, but not from sorrow. Remember that and expect to suffer. Not not a real positive word to start my message off with this morning. <laughs> I can tell by the look on your faces, whoa, expect to suffer. That's not a lot of fun. But we are trying to give you the perspective that comes out of Scripture. We're not reading into it. We're not making it say what we want it to. And we need to have realistic expectations as followers of Christ. He never promised to give us heaven on earth. That's what heaven's going to be. Heaven's going to be heaven. Earth is going to be earth. We can expect trouble like everyone else. If you decide to follow Christ, you become a Christ follower. You can expect trouble. God doesn't play favorites. We're, we're not special over and above the rest of the people who live on the face of the earth. And there can even be added pressure from following Christ. We, we can expect this. If you don't expect trouble after you decide to follow Christ, you get confused because you may have the wrong picture going in. But after you decide to follow Christ, what you realize is our problems have a purpose. 
God doesn't promise to make life easier, but he promises to make it better. And he won't remove the pressure from our lives, but he promises to walk through it with us. He promises to use the pressure to grow our character and faith. That's what James says at the very beginning of his book that we've been looking at. And especially the character of endurance, which endurance is what you need to do anything that's really important in life. If you're going to raise kids, if you're going to work, build a business, if you're going to build a career, if you're going to do ministry to people, you need endurance. You need to hang in there. And so one of the things that God's trying to do in the pressure that we experience in life is develop endurance in us. We're, we're going to have problems either way, whether we're following Christ or not. But isn't it great that if you decide to follow Christ, he promises to use the trouble to make us better, to make life better? If we learn to cooperate with him in the middle of the trouble. Today, we're wrapping up the series by focusing on the pressure of injustice. Now, this is something that really gets us fired up, injustice. When you experience it, when you see it, it can get us fired up like almost nothing else. And it reminds me of a movie, it was a goofy movie I saw a while back called Head of State, Chris Rock was... Uh, running for president because they actually put him in the race. This this uh, party put him in the race because they wanted him to lose, and he was he was uh, delivering the speech with the teleprompter at one point in the movie, and he's he's reading the teleprompter, and all of a sudden he turns it off and he just starts saying what's in, in on his mind, and. He starts talking about all the injustices in the world, and he has a catchphrase, that ain't right. And so now, whenever I see injustice or something going on wrong, that phrase goes through my mind. How many times has that gone through your mind in a, in a week? You know, sometimes it's, it's, it's there a lot. That's just wrong. That is not right. In my mind, it's, that ain't right. <laughs> and, and he'd say, let me hear you say it. That ain't right. So that's the phrase. When I see injustice, that just ain't right. And the reason we have this response to injustice is because God has built a justice motive in us. He's, he's put it into our very being, into our souls. He's wired it in. To who we are. And so when we see wrongdoing or we experience wrongdoing in the world, you can feel it deep down. It's, it's down in there. So we need to know what to do with it. What do we do with these strong emotions that come from just uh, unjust words, unjust actions, and unjust policies that we, we live under. So what do we do with that? I'd like to show you a clip from the movie Seabiscuit. And uh, it's, it's, it's basically a race. And uh, I'm just going to let you watch the clip, and then we'll talk about it after we watch it. 
Sahib. Kind of small, isn't he? Gonna look a lot smaller in a second, Georgie. He got five bucks, says he doesn't. supposed to do? Let him get away with that? Well, yeah. When he's 40 to 1. He almost put me in the rail. Well, did he? Look, we had a plan. He fouled me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He cut me off. He fouled me. Son. Son. What are you so mad at? That, that scene does a great job of painting the picture of the emotions we can feel when someone wrongs us. It's, they're deep in there. And this, this jockey was so intent on making the other guy pay for fouling him that he lost the race. This is what happens. We, if we don't handle injustice the right way, we lose sight of the goal. We, we get our eyes on making the person pay for what they've done to us, and we completely forget about what God wants to see happen in the circumstance, in the situation. And it takes us in a wrong direction away from good goals that God's given us for life. <clears throat> James is speaking to a group of people who've experienced a great amount of injustice and suffering in their lives. They were scattered from Jerusalem by persecution because they decided to follow Christ. Uh, They became enemies after they became Christians. They became enemies of the ruling religious powers who had the ability to make them pay for their faith in Christ. They even executed some of them on trumped-up charges of treason. Injustice, injustice can take hope away from us. It can lead us to despair. It can cause us to question God's place in the world. Why is he allowing this? 
The Christian answer to why evil and injustice exists in the world is extremely reasonable. I don't have time to go into it now. But in a sentence or two, if God were to eradicate injustice in the world, he would have to wipe everybody out on the face of the earth. Because we have wrong in us. We have this ability to do wrong and to sin. So what he's doing is he's waiting patiently for everyone to be born who is intended to be born and giving us the opportunity to turn around and give our lives to him. Don't, don't mistake his patience for tolerance of injustice. What we're going to see is God has a, a day in mind where he's going to wrap up history and make everything right. But until that day, we struggle with wrongdoing and injustice. So James begins the last chapter of his book by calling out those who are guilty of injustice. Let's see what he says. Basically, he shows us that God doesn't ignore injustice. He brings consequences to the unjust. James 5, 1 through 3 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. James is speaking to those who are using their wealth and their power, their standing in the world, their status to gain an advantage over other people. They're putting money and things and power over and above the people that, that are actually those who are serving them. They've... They've misplaced their hope. They put it in the wrong things. This is what God has in store for those who are living out this injustice. Miseries will attack them because they've given their riches a higher priority than the people around them. Their material things are fleeting and wasting away. I I think that's a great word picture, moth-eaten garments. I had a, a really good go-to suit that was eaten by moths. It's useless after that. That's the point of this passage. You know, you're, 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 the things that you really value, they're wasting away. Things in this world, they, they corrode. They get eaten by moths. It's not really what matters. What matters are... The people around us, these, these, these are precious to God. People are important to him. And we need to treat them in the right way. He gives a sterner warning in verses 4 through 6. Behold, the wages of the laborers, now we begin to see their specific wrongs. The wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Here, James describes how they've used their wealth and power to take advantage of others. They haven't paid their workers a fair wage. And God has heard the cry of the workers. 
This connects the dots between the misery that's waiting for them at judgment or whenever God decides to bring the judgment on them. Um, it, it connects the dots to what they've done, taken advantage of people, to the judgment they're going to experience. This is a very bleak picture for the future of the unjust. Next, James reminds us that God hears the cries for injustice, for, for justice. Uh, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts hears the pain of those who suffer. He's walking with all those who are crushed under the pressure of injustice and pain. If you've experienced injustice, and, and we all do, on, on a regular basis, maybe, maybe they're not huge injustices, but they're little, small wrongdoings against us. Uh, if you've experienced them, Lord, the Lord of hosts hears you when you cry out to him. Uh, this was written for us. Injustice in life, it's common. Maybe you've uh, been focused on doing right by someone and they've only paid you back with wrong. That's how you were repaid. Manipulative people do injustice because they're trying to override your will to force you to do what they think you should do. This is really an injustice because... God has built our will in us, and he, it's, it's just wrong. He, he won't force us to do what he wants us to do. And so when a manipulative person takes the tact of trying to pull your strings and make you a puppet to do what they want, that's wrong. That's injustice. You may be tired of watching the rich get ahead in life while you keep spinning your wills. Maybe... You have an unfair boss, and their demands leave you withered and feeling discouraged. No doubt, we need to push back against the huge injustices in the world on, on a large scale. Things like poverty, the slaughter of innocent people. Good people and nations need to mobilize to deal with these things, to do what we can to deal with them. And, act, and God is the one who leads people. Christians are the ones who are stepping in and mostly relieving the suffering that goes on in the world, led by, by the Lord of hosts who hears the cry of people all over. Much of the suffering in the world, particularly in related to poverty, the injustice that goes on, what happens is a dictator leads a country for himself and the people go hungry. There, there is actually plenty of food in the world to feed everyone with 3,000 calories a day. But what happens is it's the people in the world that do injustice that make people pay. And God leads his people to step in to the gap and relieve the suffering that goes on. And others do so as well. So there's a time to push back against injustice. And there's a time to, to draw boundaries around people who are hurting you and, and taking advantage of you. Boundaries are right. But at the same time, 
there are these small injustices that we do to one another on a daily basis. And we have to decide what we're going to do with those. What, what, how are we going to handle that? Um, there, there are these wrongdoings that happen between family members, co-workers, friends, and we have to decide what we're going to do. I, I ran across a really good, helpful concept, insight, when I was studying it. it, was, it was, this is one of those things where I was sort of having an out-of-body experience, and I, I was trying to figure out why I was asked to do this. But a few years ago, I was asked to go, or I was asked, well, we were taking a mission trip to Northeast India, and I was asked to speak uh, to uh, a group of uh, different tribe members from Northeast India, from the Naga area, Nagaland in Northeast India, about how do you, how do you settle conflict in a Christian way between tribes. These tribes had been warring. Two Christian tribes and a Hindu tribe had been warring against each other. Um, and I was stepping into this being from the United States thinking, how am I going to do this? You know, how am I, what, what do I have to say? And so I read a lot of, I read several books, found out there's a guy from, that deals with this, this kind of conflict from a biblical angle. So I read a couple of his books and, did say anyway this is Everett Worthington is the man's name and th- this is something that he says has to happen if the tribes are going to stop warring and this is what has to happen if we are going to stop warring with one another and so what what he says he paints this picture he says there's an there's a gap between people that is created by the injustice that goes on in our lives so somebody starts it. Somebody wrongs someone. Uh, and then, so if I'm the one that does the wrong, uh, the other person focuses on paying me back. If they're the one, my knee-jerk native response is to pay them back. So um, I'm wronged, and after I'm wronged, I want them to pay. And so... After I make them pay with a cold shoulder, maybe I give them a cold shoulder, I make a remark, I yell at them, I shove them, whatever, whatever, uh, the argument can escalate. Um, But after I make them pay, they suffer. So we have a break in our relationship, there's distance between us, I make them pay, that closes the injustice gap a little bit. Because I've made them pay. But the problem is, how, how do you know where that gap is? I'm hurting you. You're hurting me. We're going back and forth. I'm saying stuff to you. You're saying stuff to me. I'm doing things that hurt you. I'm backing up. So, how, so there's this gap. And I make you pay. It closes. You make me pay uh, from... The other person's perspective, it closes a little bit. Anyway, to, to bridge the gap, what has to happen is somebody has to absorb the pain. 
that that's what bridges the gap. If I absorb the pain, the gap disappears. This is what Jesus did for us in our relationship with God. Because we, we had wronged God. He, he's our maker. He, he, it's, it's right for someone who's made to do what the maker wants them to do. And this has created a gap between us and God. And God himself in the person of Jesus Christ stepped into the world and absorbed the pain. This is what he did. So this is what Christ followers do as you got the back and forth. I make you pay. Oh, I'm going to get you. And if, if somebody doesn't decide to absorb it, if they don't let that pain, if they just don't call, not just call a truce, but just, okay, that's it. I'm going to let it stop with the last thing you did to me. I'm absorbing the pain. If that doesn't happen, reconciliation doesn't occur. And so this, this is a very helpful thing to understand. It's only by the grace of God that we can do this. Because of what Jesus did for us, we've been reconciled with God. And so... As I said, boundaries need to be drawn at times. You don't let people just walk all over you like a, a welcome mat. You don't do that. There's, there's wisdom involved, but at the same time, when you could let it go, you just need to let it go. We, we need to do this. This is how it's resolved. We shouldn't respond like people without hope when things are unjust and unfair. We can trust God under the pressure because of what he's done in Jesus Christ. And because he will hold a people accountable in this life and in the next. In scripture, for instance, you find that repaying good with evil brings a curse. I've seen this play out. A boss who treats his employees unfairly is undermining his own success. They're going to revolt. They're not working as hard. Things begin to unravel in the business. The Bible makes it clear that settling the score is God's place. We leave it to him to settle the score. How, how do we know where the gap is? How wide? How do we know whether what we did was equal to what they did to us? We, we don't. We leave it to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's clear in Romans. At the same time, we need to know how to handle pressure-packed, unjust circumstances. So James gives us some great, great help here. God leads him to do this. What he says is, we trust God under the pressure of injustice by doing several things. First of all, by being patient. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> Like I said, this side of heaven, we should expect to face pressure from injustice. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient in the same way, under suffering, under injustice, be patient. So the farmer waits for the precious fruit. He knows it's going to it's going to come if he does the work preparing for it. He'll enjoy it later. But for now, he keeps working his fields because he knows if he doesn't, the fruit's not going to show up automatically. 
He doesn't get sidetracked by injustice. But he stays focused on what he needs to focus on. The wise farmer does all he can while waiting for the rainfall. Farmers don't bring rain. God does. We can't bring justice. God can. We leave it to him. My wife's from the Central Valley. She's from Turlock, which is up by Modesto, a little above Fresno, in case you never heard of it. Um, But we often drive up 99, and during the drought, it was common to see a sign like this, pray for rain. God brings the rain. We can't bring the rain. God's the one that brings it. It's the same with injustice. That's what James is saying here. God brings justice. We wait for him patiently to bring it. Well, we do everything we can do to do the good that he wants us to do in the situations we're facing. So often we want to lock on and get justice right now. We aim for payback. But in many cases, we must turn and wait on God. We need to leave the payback to him. Focus on the good goals God has for us in this world. He is just. He will bring ultimate justice like he brings the rain in his time. Not in our time. He he will bring it in his time. We have responsibilities every day that need our time and focus. If we get sidetracked by injustice, we we don't make the progress we need to make. There, There are kids who need parenting. They're under our care. There's work that needs diligence and focus. There's studies that can't wait. There are bills that still need to get paid. So we focus on doing the good that we know to do right now while we wait on God to bring justice in his time. The picture here is to keep working your fields, whatever they are in your life, and wait on God in his timing to bring justice the way he intends. Next, we trust God by strengthening our heart. James 5, 8, first part of it, or last part of it says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The word uh, establish here, or strengthen, is a Greek word that means uh, to set your face. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is it was at the very beginning. We're at, we're at Palm Sunday. This is in the, in the Christian calendar. This is Palm Sunday, the day where Jesus came into Jerusalem and he was celebrated. They just, they were praising him and honoring him as he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Palm branches were, they were, you know, paying him homage. And, um, it says before that, he, he knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem. But Luke 9.51 says, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is the same word, sterizo in the Greek. It means you set your face to stay the course, to do what's right in the middle of injustice. This, this is how Jesus handled it. This is what he did. And it describes the commitment, the strengthening that we do when we 
say no to the emotions, the surge of anger that mistreatment brings. We set our face. Christ followers follow Jesus' example. We set our face to stay the course. When you see God come through and give you help for doing this, it's easier to do. But try him out on this. (laughs) Instead of paying back those in your family who are wronging you, not giving you the respect that you want, the things that you want from them. Maybe they're not getting on board with what you want them to do that day. Set your face to do right by them, to do the good that God wants you to do. Set, just stay the course. Try him out. He'll give you the strength to do it. It's a battle. It's a fight. If you think justice depends on you, then you do whatever you deem necessary to make it happen. You try to make people pay. But if you choose faith, you can wait on God to deliver it. It's not in 30 minutes or less either. (laughs) It's in his time. He will deliver it in his time. So we wait on him. That's what a farmer does. Also, we trust him by refusing to complain. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, verse 9 says, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. In our suffering, it's tempting to grumble and complain about the pressure and and resent it. This is like putting a magnifying glass on our problems. It blows them up out of proportion. And we're not able we're not able to to manage things moving forward. We lose sight of what's really important in in the situation. So we have to guard against grumbling and complaining. It's not fair. I'm the only one being treated this way. It's it's nobody else is getting this kind of treatment. It's not fair that life seems to just go smoothly for them. This is unwise. This is not good. So we steer clear from the complaining because the judge is standing at the door. And the judge can see through the door to what's going on in our heart. And so we stop because we don't want to displease him. Um, Finally... We trust God under pressure by waiting patiently for his blessing. James 5, 10 through 11 says, An example of suffering and patience, brothers. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In the stories of Scripture and the others, what we read about, the the examples that God gives us in the Bible, we see the whole story. We see the beginning, the middle, and the end. The people living it were in it. They couldn't see how it started. They couldn't see it in the middle. They couldn't see it at the end. What James is saying here is, Over and over in the scripture, you see people like Job uh, choosing faith or not choosing faith in the middle of the story. They're in the middle. And I want to encourage you as as you walk through injustice, as you walk through the pressures that you're going through in this life, you're, you're in the middle 
You, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You're going to choose faith or not faith in the middle of the pressure. Choose to trust God. Wait on Him for the last chapter so that He has an opportunity to wait. You can step in and try impatiently try to make things happen yourself, bring justice about yourself, but then you... You circumvent what God wants to do by doing that. Wait on him for the last chapter. He's writing the story. And if you trust him, he will come through. He will provide. Job shows us how to strengthen ourselves and choose patience. He he had. It was horrendous what happened to him in the first chapter of the book by the name of Job. Just he lost everything. And his friends come around, really good friends. They're like, hey, Job, curse God and die. I mean, this is horrible. You should just go ahead and curse God right now, and he'll probably take you out of this world and just let it go. In Job thirteen fifteen, another one of my favorite verses of the Bible, he says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. This is Job's perspective. In the middle of everything that's going on in this world, I am not going to curse God. I'm going to put my hope in him because I'm going to meet him someday. And I'll defend my ways to his face. I will talk to him. He's, He's got this in mind. As he's living his life, as he's dealing with the pressure and the trouble, this is what he has in mind. The judge is standing at the door. (laughs) I'm going to meet him someday. I am not going to curse him and die. No matter what's going on, I'm going to trust him to come through because he will do right by me in this life or the next. So I find strength in that. There are many stories like Job's that God is recorded for us through the writers of Scripture. And he recorded them to, so that we could be strengthened and encouraged in them. This is one way that you get strengthened. This is how you establish your heart and get strengthened in him. And what we see in Job's story is God brings good in the last chapter. So the lesson for us is wait For the last chapter in your current predicament, God will work. God will provide what's needed in the moment. In all of our lives, the pressure is on. If not now, you might might be on a roll right now. There will be pressure coming. This is the way life is. For some right now, it's an issue of injustice. Might be temptation. It may be God's word convicting us to obey and take a step to follow him on some level. In the pressure, we may want to turn to others for rescue, for help. We may be looking for an escape, money, pleasure, some kind of break. We may try to fix it as quickly as possible to step in to make make it happen. Where do you turn under pressure? God wants us to turn to him so that he can use the pressure to grow us, to change us. 
And if we turn to him, he will come through. The Lord of hosts will lead us forward as we follow him. As I wrap up this morning, uh, I'd like to encourage you to take a next step. I don't, I don't really have a specific step related to this message that you could tape, take. I usually suggest one. But just think for a moment as, we, uh, as the band comes up and begins to get ready to lead us. Think for a moment, what has God said to me through this message and what step do I need to take? And then another step would be to bring a friend to Easter Sunday next week and pray each morning this week for them that they would come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth that we see in your word and how it does make sense of life and how you help us if we turn to you to do life your way in a way that pleases you and brings the outcome you desire. Help us to do that, God. Strengthen us and help us to establish our own hearts and set our face to do what's right before you and please you in it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.